Thank you so much, Zach. Thank you much, everyone, for uh, joining and participating in worship already this morning. And if you hadn't seen the communion cups out there at the, uh, the welcome table or wherever Kim set them up, uh, you will want your communion cup and wafer for uh, after the message today. So uh, uh, sneakily sneak out and grab that and then get back in here for the message. And we'll get right into it here, friends. Uh, let me start with this. Who here has ever heard the expression, you don't want to know how the sausage is made? Everybody, we know that one? Who here actually wants to know how the sausage is made, though? I think we all actually want to know how the sausage is made. Why else would there be the Food Network? We're obsessing about how the sausage actually gets made, right? Right? No, sort of. You're like, no, maybe someone's like, actually, I can never unlearn that sausage lesson I learned. Today, you're going to learn here for just a minute how the sermon is made. Who here wants to know how the sermon is made? All right. This is how the sermon is made. I pray for God for inspiration. Please, Jesus, give me something because I do feel the weight and the responsibility as well as the joy and the honor of preaching the word of God to y'all. Um, so when I looked at the year and I saw we had seven weeks, between Christmas and the beginning of the Lenten season, the Easter season, I had heard somewhere, it just stuck with me, that the Gospel of John had seven miracles, and I thought, I'll just deal with those seven miracles, and that'll be great, and it'll be wonderful. The miracles challenge me in so many ways. And then, oh, thank you, I think my sound just came on. All right, I'm going to start over. No, I'm not. I, I, no. <laughs> Like, please don't start over, George. Please, you say enough already. Uh, no, so, um, so here's what happened. I got all excited about preaching the seven miracles. And then I got to this week's miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. I read the passage and I was like, boy, that sounds familiar. I feel like I just heard a great sermon on that a couple weeks ago. And lo and behold, George Saylor preached an amazing sermon on that right at Thanksgiving. So, so I said, well, this is a great miracle. I should, I should stick with this. So I wrote a sermon and uh, then I let it sit. And then I woke up on Saturday morning and I read the sermon and I was like, this is the worst sermon you've ever written, George. <laughs> like, now, don't double the mistake and preach the worst sermon you've ever preached, George. And so I said, Robin, I've got to go and I got to go seek God's you know, presence and, and come up with a sermon for today. And so Robin, just so you know how the sausage is made, Robin says, oh good, I really like it when you really struggle with a sermon. So my own wife is praying for my, my misery and suffering. Thank you so much, dear Robin. Um, so I came and I opened up the lectionary and man, every lectionary reading was amazing. If you're not sure, the lectionary is a series of readings that can take you or a church through like the whole Bible in three years. And there was like the Isaiah coming into the presence of God. Uh, there was uh, the reading from uh, uh, Corinthians about what I have received, I give to you that Jesus Christ died for us. I was like, and then I read the gospel reading. It was from uh, the gospel of Luke. And it was about Jesus calling the first disciples. And there's a miracle in there. So I thought, all right, we're still going to preach a miracle, but it's going to take us a little bit off course before we get back on with the gospel of John. Uh, so here we go. I'm going to read for you now uh, the story of Jesus calling the first disciples. Let me say a prayer, though. God, uh, God's already blessed his word. We know that. So let's pray for God to bless me <laughs> to preach it and to bless you to hear it. And for all of us to have open hearts, open minds that this might land on, as Jesus would say, good soil to take root in us. So here we go. The Gospel of Luke, and starting in chapter 5, verse 1 here. 
Here we go. Make sure all the technology is working. Here we go. One day, as Jesus was standing by, oh, I never prayed after I said I was going to pray. Mercy, I get all excited about God's word and I don't pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for blessing your word. Now we do ask your spirit to be in this space and to invade the space of our lives so that me or servant, you know, the preacher today, can faithfully deal with your word and share it with your people and that we, the people of God, may receive this as the word of God, as life for us, as your truth revealed to us. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, I am all, all out of whack here today from yesterday's stress. Here we go. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. That's very important. Luke is already telling us that the words of Jesus are the words of God, for he is the word made flesh to us. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. All right. Now, to go a little bit deeper into the sausage being made, let's jump to the end and where this is going to go. We know where this is about to land. We just read it. You will be fishers of people. You, Simon Peter, will be fisher of people. You, other disciples who follow me, will be fishers of people. And you, body of Christ, you, George Saylor, you, Robin Saylor, you, new guy Chris, you, sorry Chris, you will become fishers of men. And that's a little scary. I can believe that God could call a man like, uh, you know, Billy Graham to be a fisher of men. I can believe that God might call Elizabeth Elliot to become a fisher of people. I can believe that God might call uh, Rick Warren to be a fisher of people. I can believe that God can call all sorts of godly men and women that I admire. But do we believe that God can call you to become the fisher of people. What Jesus is actually telling us here and now is that I am going to entrust my mission to you. And the subtext of that is Jesus telling us because I believe in you. I believe that you have what it takes 
I believe that despite your failings and falling short, your foibles, your sin, to be perfectly honest, despite what you might think of you, I believe enough in you that I'm gonna start preparing you and hand this mission to you and you will become the fishers. You will share the bait of the good news. You will draw people into the body of Christ. You will be my ambassadors. You will be my men and women. You will become the fishers. And that is awesome in the deepest sense of something being awesome, full of awe, fear, full of wonder. Awesome that we are gonna become the fishers of men. But let's understand the context and, and, and work back to where we know we're already going. The setup here is that Jesus has moved into his public ministry. And if we just step back a little bit in John or in Luke, in this case, we see that Jesus has begun his preaching and teaching ministry. He went into the synagogues as was his practice because he was gonna be fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament. And he would open up the scrolls and he would go to the prophet Isaiah and he would declare the year of the Lord's favor is upon you to declare the good news to the people to say release for the captives, a sight for the blind, and Jesus said, today in your hearing, this is being fulfilled. And some people are like, wow. And other people are like, kill him because Jesus is already proclaiming, I am fulfilling the good news, the year of the Lord's favor, the promise of the kingdom come. And we know that his message was this simple and this profound, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand because the king is here. I am here, believe this good news. And so he's preaching this good news and lives are being changed. In fact, then after he starts preaching this good news, the second thing we see happen is he starts doing these signs and wonders. He starts actually providing release from the captives, setting people free. The demons that he casts out of people start proclaiming Jesus is the son of God. He interestingly shuts them up because he decides demons being my evangelist would not be a good strategy for growing my church. I got to prepare people for that job. But isn't that something else that he shuts up the demons for proclaiming the truth that he is the son of God and the year of God's favor is in fact coming upon the people. And we've been studying some of those miracles. He's providing that release. He is feeding the hungry. He's giving sight to the blind. He is pointing us towards the wedding feast of the lamb and the chosen people and the kingdom of God. He's pointing us through those miracles. But now what we see with this miracle is Jesus is going to be moving us into the third stage of his ministry, so to speak, and a very crucial and incredibly important part of his ministry and what he's going to do. He is going to start calling disciples to follow him. He's telling us, it's not just enough that I come to you and declare the good news. It's not just enough that I show you that I am God's son and that I can work wonders. I can do the works of God. This is amazing. The job is too much for me incarnate now in the flesh to do this all by myself. I need to start preparing you all. I need to start preparing my men and my women to pick up the mantle of this mission and to start fishing for men and women. And so we see this launch into this discipleship ministry of Jesus Christ that is going to call us. And so as the story then unfolds, Jesus is walking along the sea and he decides to get into the boat of a guy named Simon. And whenever we read this, this can sound really weird, right? Jesus walking along just gets into a guy's boat and starts preaching. 
but let's pause and see the context. This is actually not totally out of the norm, out of the ordinary. People would sometimes, if they're wanting to give a public address, and as you know, epicenters of population would grow along the sea, certainly the fishing villages would be just, you know, kind of commonplace. Uh, somebody could quite often actually just get out onto the boat, go out a couple feet, and begin to speak because the water would kind of carry the voice. And people could gather around in kind of like an impromptu aqua amphitheater there and start listening to somebody teach. So that's not totally out of the ordinary. But what seems strange for us is that Jesus just gets into this guy, Simon Peter's boat. But is this the first time that Jesus has met Simon Peter? The answer is no. He has. They actually, this is perhaps a year into Jesus' ministry. We don't know the exact timeline, but we know this much. We know that when Jesus was baptized to launch into ministry, that his cousin, John, the baptizer, said, Behold the Lamb of God. And one of his disciples, a guy named Andrew, actually listened to John the Baptist and went and started following Jesus for a day. Spent the day with him, asked him where he was staying. They hung out. Andrew was so impressed with Jesus now, who does he go and get? His brother, Simon. And he brings Simon to meet Jesus. And Jesus says, hi, Simon, nice to meet you. You are going to become Peter, the rock on which I would build my church. And Peter was so profoundly struck by that incident, that meeting with Jesus, that he went back to fishing. <laughs> that, that seems to be the revelation for us. We kind of forget that in the story. He's like, okay, I'm Simon, the rock. You're going to build a church on me. He's back fishing. <laughs> he continues on with his life. Then we have another incident. Jesus is preaching and teaching, and he goes and stays at somebody's house. Whose house does he stay at? Simon Peter's house. And what happens? His mother-in-law is so sick that they ask Jesus to pray for her, and he heals his mother-in-law. And what does he do after Jesus heals his mother-in-law? He goes back to fishing again. He's like, wow, I'm the rock. You're going to build your church on me. You saved my mother-in-law's life. Should I be happy? Should I be sad? I don't know. I can never, by the way, I can never make mom and mother-in-law jokes because like my mom and my mother-in-law are awesome. And by the way, if I ever know two people are watching my sermons, it's my mom and my mother-in-law. So... <laughs> Mom, mother-in-law, okay, I, I love you. Uh, you know, so, so I, I think we just need to land on this. Simon Peter is very familiar with Jesus, but he's not a follower of Jesus yet. Can I just get preachy for a minute here and then we'll come back to it? A lot of us maybe are really familiar with Jesus. You grew up in Sunday school your mom and your dad, your grandma, your grandma, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, everybody's been sharing Jesus with you your whole life. Maybe a lot of us are very familiar with Jesus. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, have I really made the step of becoming a follower of Jesus? Have I really gone all in on following Jesus? Have I really pulled my boat ashore, laid down my nets, and gone all in on following this one? who claims to be master, who claims to be Lord, who has shown himself to be the son of God, have I really become a follower 
of his. That is what Jesus is going to impress upon Peter. And the good news that we see is that this is exactly where it's going, that Peter is about to make this profound uh, uh, transition in his life from simply being familiar with Jesus to being a deeply committed all-in follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. So that's the setup. That's the context. Jesus comes along and he's like, Simon, whom I know is quite familiar with me, who I already said I'm going to build my church upon, whose mother-in-law I miraculously healed, by the way, I'm going to go teach on your boat. And of course, Simon's like, yeah, sure, I I get that. We're we're buddies, we're friends. We have no idea what Jesus preached on. We have no idea what goes on in that sermon, uh, what is happening there. Um, But we do know this about the context of what's happening. It says that they had fished all night and they had caught nothing and they're in the process of cleaning their nets. Again, so we understand what's happening right here. That, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, to have a fisherman, to have fished all night and to have caught nothing, to show nothing for their labor, to be in the process after a hard day's work or evening night's work, to be almost done, like, like just about finished with doing all the cleaning. And it could take an hour, maybe two hours. It's a big job to clean those nets. We know that. And then this question is going to come to him. Uh, will you shove out into the deep water and cast down your nets again. So Peter is going to be faced with a situation here. And I think we should just pause long enough to understand what Jesus is actually inviting him to do and some of his options of what he could do. Of course, the first option that he could say when Jesus says, Peter, will you now uh, you know, shove off into the deep and cast down your nets. He could tell Jesus, you know, pardon the pun here, but shove off, Jesus. Like, no way. Like, you're a carpenter turned rabbi. You, you, you know, you're, you're a pretty good teacher. And there's the whole mother-in-law thing, but maybe she's gonna get better from the fever anyways. Maybe I could dismiss that miracle. I can rationalize those things. He could tell Jesus, like, shove off. Like, dude, like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm going home. I'm going to bed. I'm getting, you know, a good night's rest. Rest, like I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. He, he could have done something a little more subtle. He could have been like, Jesus, you know, could we do this later? Could we, could I maybe just go and get breakfast or something, get a little rest. And then if you want to go fishing, sure, join me and the boys. We're going back out. We're planning to go out tonight anyways. Come back, meet us here. It'll be a good time because guys, we like to fish together. Some guys like that, you know, so hey, we can hang out together. I think that is, of course, very indicative or reflective of how we respond to this invitation of Jesus. We, we do have, a, many of us, in a sense, that first response, that shove off Jesus. No, I'm familiar with you, but I'm not gonna do all this stuff. And, and, and if that sounds harsh, if that sounds like that's not me, uh, I, I would invite you to reflect upon your life a bit more because I think the reality is we do know the teachings of Jesus, many of us. We do know the high call and the demand of discipleship. We do know that Jesus is asking us to go all in. And frankly, a lot of us are saying, shove off. We're saying, Jesus, I don't mind having you in the boat, but I'm not really gonna change the way that I'm managing my money. You can be in the boat with me, but I'm not gonna change the way that I function in this marriage. You can be in the boat, but I'm not gonna alter the way that I parent my kids. You can be in the boat, but I'm not really gonna love my neighbors because my neighbors annoy me just too much. You can be in the boat with me, but Jesus, I want you to stay comfortably there teaching these wonderful lessons. And that's for somebody else to shove off and to go deep with you 
and to start living into all these things you're teaching me. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, that's where a lot of us remain. We like Jesus on the boat with us. We like to call upon him when we need a miracle. We like to go to his comforting teaches whenever we need the peace that passes all understanding because I'm in a tumultuous situation. But are we pushing off and going deep with the true demands and the call of discipleship on our lives? I think a lot of us maybe were a little bit more shrewd about it. I think a lot of us, we are more like that second possible response. Jesus, I'm gonna go deep with you. I'm gonna go all in discipleship with you, but it's just not time yet. Can we put it off a little bit more? Jesus, just let me get through this season of going to school. Let me get this degree. And then I promise I'm gonna go all in with you. Let me get through this year of work. And then I promise I'm gonna share your news with my coworkers. Let me just get through this next season of life. And then Jesus, once I got all my stuff in order, and then I'm gonna go deep with you and go all in on discipleship. We rationalize being familiar with Jesus and not becoming a true follower and going all in and pulling our boats to shore and giving our nets to somebody else and going to become fishers of people. But there is the third option. It is the option that we see Peter is about to embrace. And it's going to be the option, of course, that we are going to be uh, called to embrace. And that is this. Yes, master, because you say so. And that is so crucial here. He has affirmed that Jesus is master. It's a term of respect. It's a term certainly appropriate for Jesus. He is this carpenter turned rabbi. He's got this following. Master is certainly appropriate there. He says, yes, master, but he does a little, little turn there, a little thing there. He puts it all on Jesus. Yes, master, because you say so. Subtext of that, if this doesn't go well, Jesus, it's not gonna go well with us. <laughs> if I do this and nothing happens, Mm, I don't know if you're gonna get on my boat and teach anymore. You're certainly not gonna get on my boat and tell me how to fish anymore. I'm gonna do this because you say so. Oh, he's setting himself up, <laughs> isn't he there? I mean, that's the beauty of what he's done to himself. He thinks he's setting up Jesus, but he's setting himself up. He says, Jesus, I'm gonna do this because you say so. It's all on Jesus. And if we're perfectly honest, again, with this situation, it makes no sense. You are a good carpenter. You're a really good teacher. You even do some wonders. But what do you know about fishing? We know fishing. It just doesn't make sense. But my friends, my people, sometimes saying yes to Jesus and pulling up our boats, it just doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world. And guess what? It doesn't have to make sense to you. Guess what? Obedience to Jesus Christ doesn't always have to make sense to you. Now, I'm not inviting you to be willy-nilly and cavalier and throw out all caution to the wind on what you do in the name of Jesus. You could do that in a very unfaithful way, but my people, sometimes he will call you to do something that in the eyes of the world just won't make sense. But when you hear his voice clearly and compelling you, calling you to do something, what do you do? Yes, master, because you say so. Put it on him. Put it on him when he invites you to do wild, crazy, outrageous things that don't make sense. Go ahead and put it on him. Put it on him if he's calling you to pull your boat up. Put it on him if he's calling you to go to a new place. Put it on him if he's calling you to start a new 
mission, ministry, endeavor, something in the glory of his name, put it on him when he's calling you to do it. And it doesn't always have to make sense. And it's part of the joy and the wonder and the childlike faith of simply following him. He says, yes, okay, because you say so, I'm gonna do it. And pow, you know, a miracle unfolds. They go out, they get the most miraculous catch they've ever had. They're pulling the fish ashore. Their boat begins to sink. They call to the other boat. It says the partners of these guys, they get that boat out there. They start putting all this fish in. The both goats begin to sink. And you gotta think for a moment in this situation, the guys are just like, this is amazing. This is the awesome. Like imagine this hall. We gotta get Jesus fishing with us all the time. We're gonna become the richest guys ever. I mean, like we are taking care of for life and what is Peter's response at this moment and I said that quite intentionally what is Peter's response at this moment if we follow the story if we follow the text he has been Simon he has been Simon he has been Simon and now it says Simon Peter said to him Simon Peter Peter said to him, here we see Luke showing us that Simon is beginning to go from being familiar with Jesus and he's about to go all in to become his follower because he's now willing to embrace that title, willing to embrace that name, Peter, the rock on which I would build my church. Simon Peter said to him, and what's the first word that comes out of Simon Peter's mouth now? Lord, Lord, oh, you were a carpenter. Then you were a rabbi, you were a teacher, you were a miracle worker. I was even willing to call you master. Now, Lord, Lord. And what does he say? Lord, this is awesome. This is so great. This is incredible. Like, oh man, let's do it again. What's the first thing he says? Lord, depart from me. Lord, get away from me because I'm a sinner. When you have an experience like this, two things become abundantly clear, abundantly clear in our lives. Who Jesus really is and who we really are. Jesus really is the Son of God, the Lord and the Savior, and we really are sinners. Ouch, I know it's not fun, we don't wanna hear it, but we really are sinners. We really are fallen. We really have made mistakes. We really have messed up. We really cannot stand perfect and blameless and just before a just and holy and perfect God. We really is God and we really are sinners in need of a savior. You see, Peter here, joins a long-standing and rich tradition of people who've experienced a theophany. Somebody say theophany. There you go. You learned a fancy new word there. Welcome to seminary again. Uh, whenever God appears in a miraculous, in a supernatural, wonderful way, these are called theophanies, these revelations, these appearances of God. And if there's anything we see consistently in these theophany experiences, it's that people see God for who God really is, and people see themselves for who they really are. Adam and Eve, they had this wonderful abiding relationship with God. They walked in the garden in the cool of the day. It was the relationship we were made for. It's the relationship that we get restored to us in Jesus. It was beautiful. It was shalom. It was perfect. It was the garden. It was all that stuff. And then they sin. They disobey. They believe the serpent. They, they lie to God. And what happens the next time God shows up in the garden? They hid because they were afraid 
They were afraid. And then he appears to a guy named Abram and Sarah. And it says when God appeared to them, it says they were terrified as if darkness had fallen over them. And then God appears to a guy named Moses. And God and Moses was terrified and trembled in the presence of the theophany, the experience of the burning bush. And then the people of God are brought out by the signs and the wonders and the miracles and they're brought to the mountain of Mount Sinai and God's presence comes upon the mountain and the people were terrified and afraid. They thought they were gonna die. And, and then God appears to a guy named Isaiah whenever he goes to worship in the temple and it says, he says, woe to me for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and he was terrified for his life. And he appears to a guy named Job and Job had going through suffering and hardship and trials and, and he was shaking his fist at God and he was saying it wasn't right and it wasn't justice and God says, well, okay, well, let's show up and have a conversation. And as soon as he does, Job says he was terrified before God and he appears to Jonah on the boat and in the storm they know is supernatural and, and, and the fishermen themselves were terrified it says and they, they worship God and I, I could give like I could literally give like, like a dozen other examples but whenever a theophany, an experience of God, the presence of God shows up in the lives of people we see God for who God really is and we see ourselves for who we really are. Sinners in need of a savior. The story could have ended there, of course. Peter sees Jesus for who he really is. Peter sees himself for who he really is. And Jesus could have like, you know, walked off. Yeah, you're right. Maybe I'll leave you. Maybe I will go away from you. Maybe you don't have what it takes, Peter. I mean, I called you a rock, you know, a while ago. Heck, I, I healed your mother-in-law and you didn't seem to care enough to start following me. You went back to fishing. Maybe you're right, Peter. Maybe you don't have what it takes to follow me and become a fisher of people. Maybe you don't have what it takes to become the rock on which I will build my church. The great thing about what's happened to here is that Peter is gonna be perfect from here on out, right? If you know Peter's story from this moment forward, he's gonna get everything right. He's never gonna make another mistake in following Jesus, Right? All my Sunday school people are like, that doesn't seem right with the story of Peter. If there's anything that Peter teaches us, what we need to start learning is Peter doesn't get it right the first time. He doesn't get it right the second time. He's gonna get it right the third time, but he's gonna get it wrong a whole lot more times after this. And Jesus is gonna keep coming back to Simon and saying, Simon, Simon, Simon gonna be my Peter. You're gonna be my rock. You're gonna be my guy. You're gonna be my disciple. You're gonna be the one. You see, let me, let me just reflect on this a moment with all of us. Let me, put it, let me put it this way. We're really good as a church and often we're really good perhaps as a people of God of asking people, do you believe in God? Do you love God? Maybe, and that's a question we, we, we should be asking people. I mean, we should be asking people the question, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God and by his name, uh, we can have life by his resurrection from the dead. We can have our salvation. Do, do you wanna put your life and your faith, your trust in Jesus? We should, be, we should be asking people that, but maybe we can take a lesson here from Jesus calling Peter, because this is Peter not so much asking Peter, do you believe in me? That's again, kind of the subtext of this. This is Jesus telling Peter, I still believe in you. I still believe that you have what it takes. I still believe that you can be my rock. 
Peter, I know mistakes you're gonna make. And it's funny how Jesus like will know Peter is about to make mistakes before Peter makes mistakes. And he's still saying, Peter, I still believe in you and what I can do through you. And maybe that's a message we as a church just need to get better at sharing because that's really good news, that Jesus believes in us, that Jesus loves us, that despite our mistakes, despite our failures, despite our falling short, despite when we've messed up as a man or a woman, despite when we've messed up as a husband or a wife, despite the times when we mess up as parents, despite the times when we mess up being a good neighbor, despite the times when we mess up at work, despite the mistakes that can plague our lives, Jesus is still saying to us, I still love you and I still believe in you and I still want you to follow me and I still want you to experience the amazing things that I can do through your life if you'll trust and follow and obey. And I think that's an amazing message. I think that's a message that we need to get really comfortable sharing. I think that's a message that the world is dying to hear, that God loves you, that God believes you, and God is calling you. God is calling you, and he's calling all of us to go from this familiarity with Jesus to the deep, abiding life of a disciple who goes all in and follows him, who follows him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus is telling Peter, you are worthy to become a fisher of people. And Jesus, through this message, is telling us that he wants us to become fishers of people too. I'm gonna invite Zach to get up here so I can start driving at home. That's always my own little like warning, George. Start driving at home, turn the corner here. But let me ask this as, as I do. Who here likes fishing? Anybody here like fishing? Anybody fish or just feel free? Please, all right. We got some people enthusiastic liking fishing. Who here doesn't like fishing because you're awful at it? More people don't like fishing because I understand there's people here that actually like ice fishing. If there's anything that goes against all of creation and in the intended order of God, it is ice fishing. It's literally God saying, stop fishing. You can't get to the water. And we're like, no, God. I will crush through the ice and learn how to fish. So just weird. I'm a, I'm a horrible fisherman and I've gone out fishing on my own. And one thing I've learned when I go out fishing on my own, the few times I've done it is I did a lot of casting, but I did no catching, like literally like a lot of casting and, and, and no, no, no catching. But when I've gone off fishing with somebody who goes, it, it's amazing what they can do. It's amazing when I go out with my brother and he just knows the spots. And I can't claim any credit for catching those fish when I go out with somebody who knows fishing. I'm just following the master at that point. I'm just doing what they tell me to do and I just obey it. And the incredible thing is when I just follow and trust and obey and do exactly what a skilled fisherman tells me to do, there's a catch. But it is crazy the different kinds of fishing that's out there. I don't know a lot about it, but I know there's crazy people who go ice fishing despite all of creation saying stop fishing. I, I, I know there's people here who like fly fishing. I know there's people who like going out with like that bob thing in the sinker and they put a worm on it or a hot dog bit. I remember doing that in ponds with my kids. I know people like deep sea fishing and salt. Well, I know that apparently there's all kinds of different fishing 
out there. It would also appear that our Lord and Savior really wants us to do all different kinds of fishing. Whether it's on the ice or in the rivers or on ponds or out in the ocean, God is telling us, I want you to be my fishers of people. I believe in you, I'm trusting in you, and I will be with you as you go and pick up the mantle of this mission. And I know you're not perfect, and I know you're gonna make mistakes. I know you got mistakes in your past. I know you're still gonna make mistakes, but my people, I'm still telling you, I love you, and I believe in you, and I want to entrust you with the miracle of this mission to actually become fishers of people, to go out and to share this good news and have trust and faith that you will catch people, that you'll catch people for my kingdom. You'll catch people with this good news of life and salvation. And so here's what we're gonna do, friends. I'm gonna pause and I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for some of us at the surface level that maybe we can make that move from becoming familiar to becoming a follower. Maybe some of us, again, the, the, the confession, the repentance that Jesus taught and Jesus preached for us, the confession, the thing we repent of is saying, Jesus, it's, it's kind of true. I've been, I've been really, I'm really familiar with you. <laughs> I can impress people with my familiarity with you. People can think I'm really all in with you because I can quote Bible verses and talk about all the services I've said. But maybe we're not really all in with being a follower of Jesus. So this is gonna be a prayer for us to say, Jesus, I, I gotta go from that place of being familiar with you to being a follower of, you, of yours so that I can become a fisherman, a fisherwoman, a fisher of yours. Because I wanna pick up the mantle of this mission to share this good news and to catch people for your kingdom and for your glory. Let me say a prayer here for us and then we're gonna celebrate communion. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, um, I trust you, Heavenly Father, that you impressed on me the need to rework this message because this is the message that some of us needed to hear. That the time for us to pull our boats ashore, to go all in, to follow you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength begins today. And maybe we could mark today as that day. Maybe we could mark this as that moment. I went from being familiar to going all in to be a follower. And here I am, Jesus, standing before you, not because I'm perfect, not because I haven't made mistakes, not because I won't make mistakes in the future, but because you're telling me that by your power, by following you, by trusting in you, by obeying you, I can actually become a fisher of people. You can actually use a man or woman like me to share your good news. And by doing that, to see lives changed, to see people come to faith in you, to see your church grow, to see a bit more of your kingdom come. So I'm going all in, Jesus. I'm calling you Lord, and I'm doing it because you call me to do it. We do this all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. My people, let us become nourished and fed for this mission that now lies before us. For we know that Jesus calling us to be fishers of men and women wouldn't need a, leave us lacking anything that we stand in need of. And he said, you're gonna need some bait for this mission. <laughs> if I could push the fishing analogy a little bit. You're gonna need something to go on this mission that I'm calling you to do. I'm gonna need to feed you, give you the bread of life. I'm gonna need to refresh you and give you the cup of salvation.
And so on Jesus' last night of his earthly ministry with his disciples gathered in an upper room, after giving thanks to God, he took the bread and I encourage you to do this as well. He broke the bread to show them as his body would be broken. He broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and after giving thanks again to God, he lifted it up and said to his disciples, this cup is now the new covenant sealed in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. My people know that every time we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, what we are literally doing is proclaiming the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. Let me give one more word of thanks and let's worship a little bit more. Heavenly Father, we thank you that not only have you believed in us and loved us enough to call us to become fishers of people for your kingdom and for your glory, but you would never leave us lacking in this mission. And now you sustain us, you feed us, you nourish us with the power of your spirit. So may this bread and may this cup remind us that we are filled with all the gifts, all the fruits, with all the power of the spirit that we stand in need of to go and to share this good news. We thank you for this, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's worship, friends. Just stand with me. I worship you. I worship you. 
Stop working. You never stop. You never 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 stop working. You never stop. You never